0: All right, everyone, welcome to a, a very special live edition of Bell Curve. Uh, today, I'm joined by Hart Lamber, uh, Tarun Chitra, and Quintus Kilborn. Uh, fellas, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here.
0: This is going to be an exciting one. Um, we're going to be talking about Tarun's bright future as a Red Bull influencer um, and his, and his bridge, the, the main topic of, of this live stream. Uh, no, maybe we'll get to that if we have time at the end. But today we're here to discuss uh, the launch of a new product uh, from UMA called Oval. Um, so Hart, maybe uh, you know I could call on you to maybe just give us an overview of what Oval is, uh, and then we can spend this, this stream sort of unpacking what the implications of it are.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll keep it uh, super high level, and then we'll dig in. Um, but Oval is a MEV capture tool uh, specifically to capture the MEV or MEV uh from uh oracle updates and specifically chainlink oracle updates um so the the the, the typical target here would be like a lending protocol like aave or compound or others um and these protocols are leaking in our estimation and we can go into some of these numbers too um leaking hundreds of millions of dollars of mev over their history um and we're going to use oval to recapture that uh working with uh, flashbots infrastructure So it was all built on top of a Flashbox product called MevShare uh, that Quintus is part of the Flashbox team. And we can go deeper into how that works, too. Um, So that's the high level. MevCapture for Oracle updates. um, And we can talk about uh, where that goes uh, in the future, too. Awesome.
0: So maybe to just sum up here and even zoom out and give listeners a little bit more context, we're talking about attacking one of the major buckets of MEV that gets produced within this sort of Ethereum MEV supply chain, which is liquidations. Um, and within our sort of solution here, there are four uh, sort of stakeholders. There's UMA, there's Chainlink, Aave, and Flashbots. And I want to get into actually almost like the what this new supply chain that we're talking about ultimately looks like. But uh, Hart, Quintus, Tarun, whoever wants to take this, can you just give listeners who aren't as familiar with, like, what liquidation type MEV and how that actually works on Aave? Can you just describe what that entire bucket of MEV that gets generated is?
2: Yeah, should we do the, um, should we, Quintus, should you do the one sentence uh, or two sentence description of what MEV is anyways, and whether we're going to call it MEV or MEV, we should also answer that
1: debate. I'm mm-hmm. a MEV guy. I'm a MEV guy. Um, a a one-sentence description of what MEV is. I feel like I'm going to have to use many commas and ands. Um, <laughs> but MEV is, is um, the most basic definition is its, it's value that a block producer, right, miner originally, now like validators indirectly, can extract from sort of influencing the ordering or inclusion or exclusion of exclusion of transactions. And in particular, in this case, it will be sort of the transaction which, which uh, follows uh, an Oracle update. Um, maybe specifically the, the, the liquidation stuff, I think Turin should, should talk about, but I can, I guess I can go into it as well. Maybe. Turin? Oh, okay. He
2: looked, oh, he looked okay. frozen. I um, thought um, he was thinking deeply about liquidations. I <laughs> yeah. thought
1: he was
0: just blown away by that definition that you gave Quintus uh, and just <laughs> absorbing it. But Quintus, maybe could you give us, can you give us the, like, just kind of walk us through mechanically um, how Meb is created on the like, sort of AVE liquidation level?
1: Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, generally what happens with all of DeFi protocols is that there's some update which comes, um, you know, the, the rel- reliance of information from the outside world, like uh, an Oracle, like a price feed, for example, and, you know, ETH or some asset pair. Um, and based on this, they adjust some parameters for lending protocols, they say, okay, listen, like we have, you know, these um, liquidation thresholds, we have, you know, um, this much collateral for a loan, um, and if the price moves below a certain threshold, then suddenly the collateral is not enough to cover the loan anymore, and it's going to become bad debt. So automatically, we make this this collateral um, liquidatable, basically. And so anyone can come and and um, because different protocols do it differently, but but basically, if you you know give us if we lent out USDC for ETH collateral, if you give us a, um, enough USDC back, you can take all this ETH collateral. Uh, and usually they, they sell this, they let this happen at, at a relative um, discount. So that, so the ETH is going quite cheaply because they don't want to risk um, sitting with bad debt. And so the person who does this uh, this trade and, and supplies the, um, the USDC and, and takes all the ETH makes quite a bit of money uh, because many people can do this. It's, it's permissionless. Um, all that excess value ends up going to the validator as the different liquidators bid. Uh, to be the, the the transaction that follows the oracle update and is able to extract this value.
0: Yeah so do you want to do you want to describe then i mean um what exactly oval does within this context and maybe just to harken back for uh, you know prior listeners of belcurve we spent the entire season with dan on the on the deck side, talking about this idea of MEV recapture, which is going to be an idea that we refer to here within the context of how borrow lend protocols can recapture some of the MEV that's being directed to the proposer layer within Ethereum. But now, maybe can you kind of like mechanically walk us through what Oval actually is and how it sort of stands in the middle of Aave and um, these chain link Oracle updates that are getting pushed out?
2: Yeah. So to summarize, like, and what Quintus was saying, you have. An Oracle update come in um, if it triggers a liquidation those liquidations are like juicy ARB trades and we can go into like what those look at look like before and this is where Trun does have like a lot of expertise on gauntlet where the thing that Aave and compound and those protocols care about first second third fourth the most important thing to them is when they need to sell collateral they sell the collateral otherwise everything breaks bad debt right um and so they need to sell the collateral cheap, right? Uh, they need to sell it at a cheap price to make sure, to absolutely make sure that happens. And currently those cheap prices that discount to whatever uh, kind of fair value is, that's getting captured in this MEV supply chain and basically getting paid to validators. So, okay. What um, Flashbots has shown us and what the ecosystem has shown us with these order flow auctions um, is we can use uh, FlashBot's MevShare infrastructure to run an auction um, to, for the right to use a transaction. And what Oval does essentially and says, hey, um, when a Chainlink price update comes in, Ave can't use it immediately. No, no liquidator can use that price immediately for the first three blocks. So we're talking like 36 seconds here. No liquidator, no searcher can use this price for the first 36 seconds unless they go through MevShare. So if you go through MevShare and we run an auction, then you can use the price in those first 36 seconds. If you don't go through MevShare, don't go through Oval, um, you can't use that price. What this means is that the, we are essentially auctioning off the first right to use a chain link price through the Oval Flashbots MevShare infrastructure. And that auction allows us to recapture all this MEV that these protocols are losing. We'll stop there.
0: Yeah, that's really how, I mean, Tarun, I'd love to get your, and for, for listeners who might be a little bit more um, used to hearing about this again from sort of the DEX perspective, this is almost similar to like the top of block auction that gets bid in sex to arbitrage and the right to bid against an AMM. That would be sort of an analogy or framework that you might apply onto this specific situation. But Tarun, uh, as someone who's been at, uh, you know one of the founders of gauntlet and obviously very uh, familiar from the the sort of ave perspective you guys have done a lot of work with them can you just talk a little bit uh, you know putting that cap on like why this might be something that ave is super interested in
3: yeah so i mean i guess there are a couple couple of reasons so so you know you're making initially you were talking about sort of this comparison to centralized decentralized arbitrage you should think of that type of mev as sort of <clears throat> the 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 standard picking pennies in front of a steamroller type of thing where you're like every, every block, every second, there's like some amount of MEV, but it's small. It's like a couple, you know, 0.1 basis points or something like that in sandwich profits or MEV profits. So like I put in a dollar, I get a dollar 0.001, right? It's like a very small profit. These liquidation events are actually quite different. They're more like lottery ticket, high risk style MEV. So they're not very frequent. They don't exist on every block. They exist on particular times. Um, And when they happen, it's usually quite a large uh, incentive. Part of the reason for this is that, um, you know, in the traditional finance world, if I have a loan that needs to get liquidated, usually the bank or the broker internalizes it. So that means that they sort of hold the position and they slowly sell out of it. So like, let's say I, I have a bunch of, Tesla stock, I borrow a bunch of cash against it. The Tesla stock goes down 20%. Now the bank margin calls me. They slowly liquidate, but that means the bank holds the risk. In most DeFi protocols, um, although I think this is changing a little bit slowly over time, uh, the protocols themselves, especially the ones from 2019 and 2020, when there was no on-chain liquidity, can't hold positions they, you, you should basically think of them as like they can't hold negative positions like lossy positions which you know people call bad debt but it's it sort of it's sort of a weird thing because it, it the debt is floating price so the price could go back and suddenly it's good debt so I, I, the bad debt thing is is a pet peeve of mine of of uh crypto people not paying attention to what you know what the the thing is and instead giving it a meme name um and anyway, so the idea is if you can't hold risk, you need to fire sell as, as kind of Hart was saying. And so the question is like, how do you choose how much of a discount you give and like how, you know, and, and one way of thinking about it is like, if I give a 1% discount um, and there's sort of a, you know, let, let. I'm, I'm making up numbers here, but this is just for illust- illustrative purposes. Let's say I, I, I'm willing to, to sell you collateral at a one percent discount to the oracle price, and there is a you know fifty percent chance of there being a ninety percent drop in the asset, and a, or sorry, a fifty percent chance of a fifty percent drop, and then and a one percent chance of a ninety percent drop. In the case where I have the 90% drop, that 1% incentive won't be sufficiently high, because there's a lot of volatility in the asset, there's likely not going to be much liquidity at that time. Um, And so what you're really trading off is like probability of bad debt, which is based on probability of a really tail event where there's no liquidity, versus, um, you know, being cheap, like not, not having the lenders lose much money on this liquidation. and so in this vein you know there's a lot of different parameters you can tune in these protocols whether it's liquidation thresholds so like do we start liquidating them early so that means sort of like uh you know if your health factor is not one if it's like 1.05 you start getting slowly liquidated to push you back up to 1.1 a lot of the newer lending protocols a lot of lending protocols that have amm uh shares as collateral do things like this um and uh, an interesting point, another interesting point is, like, if I have a very lossy Oracle price, then I actually can't make that, I can't make those parameters as aggressive. Um, in the sense that, like, I have to give a higher discount if I have to tolerate some volatility in the, the Oracle price. Because, like, I, as I said earlier, the discount is sort of tied to some notion of uncertainty, over some time interval, whether it's price uncertainty, liquidity uncertainty, things of like those. And the hope, I think, with you know an Oracle where the price that someone is conveying to pay to back run or front run the Oracle is that it should be giving you some signal about this extra protocol information, like the liquidity information. Like If someone is not willing to pay much, then that means there's not as much liquidity because they have a ton of costs to source that liquidity. Um, and so the hope is that with this extra information, you can, you can kind of, these protocols don't have to spend as much in the long run. Um, it remains to be seen because his, historically Oracle volatility relative to centralized exchanges insanely high. Um, and so maybe, maybe, maybe I'll stop there. Cause that was like a long, lot of stuff.
2: Well, true. And I love, God, I love the way you explain things um, too, but you're, you're, uh, let me put some concrete numbers around some of what Trune's saying for the readers here too. So um, trun talked about like this concept of a fire sale, and like you just have to make sure, I'll use his favorite word, bad debt. You have to make sure bad get, debt gets liquidated. Um, so Ave right now uh, sells uh, their collateral at between a five and ten percent discount to the chain link price um, when it comes in. So if a liquidation gets triggered by a chain link price, they sell it at a discount. It depends on the asset. These are parameters that you can tune, but it's between five and ten percent. Um, and if you think about it, like that is, it doesn't cost ten percent to sell that collateral. Uh, they're just inserting that threshold because they need to make sure it gets done. So what Oval's doing, via running this like MevShare auction, is we're inserting a market mechanism to actually price how much that discount should be per liquidation um and to put concrete numbers like of v v2 and v3 uh have liquidated about 1.2 uh billion dollars of collateral um these are numbers our teams pulled um and of that 1.2 billion dollars in collateral the average discount is like five six percent um it's been like 62 million dollars of discounts that Aave's paid uh, to get that collateral um, uh, liquidated or let that collateral sold. And there's gonna be some cost to selling that collateral, but it's not $62 million worth. It's far smaller than that, right? Um, Compound uh, V2 and V3, it's about the same, about a billion dollars of collateral has been liquidated. um, And they've paid about 71 million of discounts um, by our calculations too, and again, that's just way more than they need to pay. So the entire concept here is now we get more price information, more signal by running this auction, this competitive auction that searchers bidding for how much they want to buy this discounted collateral for, we're able to recapture that MEV and redirect it back to the protocol. Okay, that's
0: that's really helpful. It's basically just to like sum up and even just you know five-year-old type language, from the AVE perspective, there's an imperative to liquidate, you know, if we want to call it bad debt, pricey, whatever, whatever we want to call it, we don't want to be on the hook for this position. And in theory, you know, the more volatile the, the price of the asset is, the more of a, uh, you know, the more... Uh, Margin room for margin or margin of error you need to give yourself, and you're kind of flying blind, right? You don't exactly know how to price that, so you're saying to arbitrageurs or anyone who's going to come in and liquidate, like, hey, I, I kind of, I don't really know how much it's going to be to incentivize you to come do this, but I really don't want to take this risk, so let's say ten percent. So with the addition of this uh, suave sort of auction, we can just get more granular pricing information. How should we think about this from the Abe perspective? Is this like what does the actual flow of funds look like? Is this reducing a cost for Ave is this an additional stream of revenue for Ave like what is the um, h- how would you actually characterize this I guess it kind of nets out to the same thing but how would you characterize this from the Ave perspective
3: it, it's sort of two things um, and like I think I think one thing that's worth pointing out as a technical note is it's not it's not immediately obvious that this will lead to you know like a huge discount in fact. Cause there's sort of this weird trade-off that occurs in these liquidation auctions where the average liquidation auction will have a lot of very good signal where people are basically bidding what they think the liquidity elsewhere is, but the liquidation auction on very edge case scenarios. So like when Igorov was almost defaulting on curve, um, when, you know, you know, 2022, November, 2022 style stuff, stuff had to happen when staked ETH, uh, was deviated from par note i didn't use the word pegging despite the idiotic usage of the word pegging for something that shouldn't be pegged that doesn't have a natural peg uh and there's there's kind of this uh thing where like in the worst case scenarios it may not actually improve pricing for liquidations but in the average case scenario it does improve pricing so there's kind of this trade-off of like in the worst case scenarios people are even afraid to, to bid high because the centralized exchange, they can't clear the other side on the centralized exchange or the dex because there's not as much liquidity. Um, so I would I would view this as as a way of reducing average costs. So like the average liquidation that exists will ha- generally have lower costs. The worst case liquidations probably don't change as much. And you should really be characterizing this as sort of this trade off between how much does the protocol value bad debt at a certain size. So like if I have a million dollar loan versus a hundred million dollar loan, you know, the hundred million dollar loans, bad debt is worth X to the protocol. And the 1 million is probably worth less than X over a hundred, right? Like, because it's relative size relative to the total liquidity supplies is quite high. So because of that, you're, you're sort of can view the savings as implicitly the market defining this trade-off curve for the protocol of like how much it's valuing uh, each alone and the discount on the loan. And it's you could think of the market as pricing this for the lenders because the lenders are passive generally, right? In these protocols, they you set it and forget it. You put your cash in and you hope that there's not too many liquidations. But there's some sense in which what you're doing is trying to make the market do some active management for the lenders by doing uh, for these passive lenders. And that's why I'm saying on the average case, it it does a good job. In the worst case though, it's not totally clear. It helps that much.
2: The way I would simplify what Troom's saying um, though, is uh, uh, what we are doing is delaying uh, free access to the the chain link price by three, three slots by 36 seconds. Although there's still free access just through this auction mechanism. And so the trade-off from the protocol is um, uh, you're you're really just capturing like this this free money. You're having the market price how much they value running this liquidation. Um, and I agree with Tarun. There's like edge cases where maybe it does actually cost a lot to liquidate that collateral. Like maybe it costs seven percent of your ten percent, but you still are using a market and an auction mechanism to recapture the, 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 uh, the excess or the remainder. And I, I got actually one analogy that I'm kind of curious if both Quintus and Trun agree with here too. Um, cause I was thinking about this more and, you know, when you, when you, we, we, kind of, most of the people in the ecosystem now know that if you were to go into Uniswap and try to sell a uh, million dollars of ETH, um, and you put in uh, a 7% slippage, uh, number, In your Uniswap trade, and didn't use any MEV protection. Most people know that you would like pay that price. You'd lose seven percent. You're going to get like sandwiched and lose and pay the worst possible price. Um, and essentially, I look at what, and I'm curious if Trin agrees with this. But when a lot of these lending protocols auction off collateral, they're effectively doing that. They're sending like a, it's like a Uniswap Dex trade with a really, really wide slippage window, um, and that. Hurts. They get the worst possible execution. Um, what Flashbots did with like Flashbots Protect, so Flashbots Protect is like the consumer version of this MEV share um, order flow auction infrastructure. And Flashbots Protect lets users, when they send uh, their Uniswap Dex trades, uh, run an order flow auction to recapture this MEV that they might lose. And they're trying to, like, in this example I have with the Uniswap trade with 7% slippage, Flashbots Protect should run an auction to recapture most of that. Um, What Oval's kind of doing here is doing the similar thing for Flashbots Protect, but for transactions that um, originate from the protocol. So here, transactions that originate from a lending protocol. And maybe we can talk in a second about how it could be extended to other use cases, too. But I'm curious what like Quintus and Drone think about this analogy of saying like, hey, we're basically we're this like unprotected DEX trade on Uniswap. And uh, if that, if you agree with that, that kind of that's what Avi and Compound are doing and uh, how Oval sort of analogous to Flashbots Protect.
1: Yeah, I think that 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 makes a lot of sense. Like, we actually see this um a lot with people trading shitcoins when they'll set a a big slippage limit and sort of Sorry, la- can allow you give, themselves give
3: Sorry. a a technical definition of shitcoin?
1: Yeah, just just look up my my ENS. And <laughs> uh, you can see some examples. Uh, but but um
3: <laughs> Okay, so 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 the definition of a shitcoin just for, for for formality's sake is any any coin Quintus owns. <laughs> Um, if yeah. you want to brand your coin a shitcoin, just send to the NS <laughs> a little bit of your
2: supply. I,
1: I guess, I guess, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's. I'm no, no,
2: kidding. no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so I think, uh, I guess, here, the, a useful definition for shitcoin is something that's high volatility, um, right? So when people are trading these these um, shitcoins, often they'll set a high slippage limit because there's a lot of competition to access the, I guess maybe a specific form of high volatility, but um, they're trying to access a price that was set at the top of the block, or really they just, they don't even need the top of the block price, they just need to get in the block. And because there's so much competition, because you know, the token is pumping or whatever, um, it's not clear how to get in the block and you could like directly pay a, a bribe to the to the miner, um, or the validator or block builder, um, however you want to think about it. Um, but instead, it's just easier for, for you know uh, speculators to set the slippage limits high, get sandwiched, and then get included in the block. And it's exactly this kind of trade-off you were talking about, where it's sort of like risk versus like, quality of execution, and so they're willing to take a worse price as long as this thing just gets done, um, which is you know the trade-off you were describing for for lending protocols. So I think that that captures it quite nicely.
3: Yeah. I, I think one tiny caveat I would give to this is that. The, you know, I think there's there's a big difference between liquidations that are of low liquidity coins versus high liquidity coins. Um, and in the high liquidity coins, I think the, you could argue that the slippage limit might as well be zero because it will, you know, there's a sufficient liquidity and sufficiently many people sandwiching that it, it comes out to, to net to zero. But for the very low liquidity coins, I think that's where you get the biggest benefit. And that's because you effectively have to trade with a high slippage to even kind of fulfill those orders. Um,
2: But true, just on on that though, just because the analogy here is like if Aave and Compound are selling collateral of mostly very high liquidity assets, right? But they're selling it with like high slippage limits. That's- They
3: they are are selling it with high slippage limits. But I I think, again, the problem is you're picking a, a static sell rate for something that depends on market conditions, right? And like, yep. arguably yeah. the point of the auction is to try to correct that. Um,
1: yeah, you could think of the- or- oh, no, oh, sorry, turned uh, I feel like you can think of the auction as like a, a second oracle, right? That that uh, imports some more market information. So you, you yeah. get the, yeah, you get the generic oracle saying, oh, you know, you should probably liquidate. And then you're doing another check, like, okay, but at what rate should I liquidate basically?
2: Uh, yeah, Quintus, that's actually a pretty cool way of thinking about it. Yeah. It's like the Chainlink Oracle is what triggers your liquidation, right? Um, so that's saying, yeah, and like super robust liquidation needs to happen. Chainlink, it, it's not particularly granular. Like those updates are relatively infrequent, but they're like super secure, right? And then uh, I do like that, uh, the this Oval Auction is the second auction about, like, what what should we actually pay to liquidate this collateral? Yeah, I
3: mean, one important thing, and this is why I bring up this notion of the average case versus worst case, is order flow auctions in general are sort of like, you can't really make them incentive compatible. There's a lot of ways that, like, the bidders can collude. And if they collude, then, like, you're not real, the bids are not really reflecting the true market information. Um, but but collusion sounds much worse, right? It sounds like there's this nefarious Discord channel where everyone is, like, trying to fuck each other. Um, it's a little less like that. It's more oftentimes they're colluding indirectly. The cost of liquidity just went up, so they're all lowering their bids because they went on Binance and they can't sell anything. Um, a ton of people got liquidated on Binance, so, like, now there's just, like, no, no kind of resting orders on the other side. Um, so there's a, a, a sense in which these types of mechanisms are good as a second oracle when people are reporting close to truthfully what they, what they see in the cases that they don't. So like, you know, again, when there's no liquidity, then, then it's sort of like it, the, there's sort of like the amount of information you're getting goes to zero. And so this is, this is why I think the correct way to think about these things is they're really good at these average case behaviors and you have, you know, in these worst case behaviors, though, you you still need other mechanisms. And I think a lot of this is where a lot of the innovation in lending protocols lately has been happening. Is some protocols like Compound V three, for instance, will hold some of the position for a longer period of time. Um, and then, if you look at some of the the other lending protocols like the Morphos of the world, Ajna, etc., they actually are willing to tolerate some amount of quote bad debt. For some amount of time, uh, indirectly, and they kind of do can kind of do this type of more passive thing where they wait and see. Hey, will the market correct before we immediately sell? Because one sort of problem for these protocols is the time that they are forced selling, even at a discount is also the time the market is going down. So they, they could cause this spiral effect, right? Like they sell, cause price go down, cause other liquidations happen, right? That That's like the worst case, you know, that's maker Black Thursday type of thing, right? Um, but the, uh, I think the idea of this like holding positions longer piece, I think in a lot of ways, that is one of the things that, you know, in the new, new lending protocols, you're seeing a lot of like, you know kind of interesting takes on liquidation mechanisms that that do that where the protocol holds more risk and i think there's kind of this this two-pronged approach of things like improving the the true price dynamically by having market participants convey it plus also having the protocols hold some risk on their own um is probably like the the future in the long run
0: hmm. So I want to I want to uh, sort of drill down here and and tie off the the sort of benefit from the Ave protocol perspective but also like the Ave user's perspective and then uh, I want to kind of zoom out and and focus on this this uh trend of protocols recapturing the the mev that they generate. So you know, basically, to sum up what I've heard from from all of you is that I, I really like also that analogy, um, Quintus, as Oval is basically a second oracle where you're allowing more. Basically, you're facilitating more granular pricing of liquidations, and that could be based on the volatility of the asset, that could be based on the size of the position, whatever that ultimately ends up being. What I would guess is that that's ultimately a net benefit to Ave from the perspective of not taking on risk, but also basically quoting. You know being less, um, uh, being more forgiving in terms of liquidations for users. I would guess, from the perspective of Aave, they will want to be liquidating their users. So if you have more granular access to pricing uh, for their underlying loans, I mean, you could theoretically
3: choose to liquidate less, right? I mean, is that uh, accurate? Tarun? That's sort of the this idea of like the protocol holding more risk. Got that it. They would, they would, they would basically they, they'd be willing to tolerate health fact. Like suppose you know you got liquidated at. Uh, you know, health factor equals one, health factor is just sort of the ratio of the value of uh, your collateral to your debt uh, with some correction sometimes. Uh, you know, Say you get liquidated health factor one, maybe the protocol instead says, hey, we'll hold your pr- position, but you can't withdraw uh, until health factor 0.9. If it goes below 0.9, we start selling. If, it's above, if it stays below one and above 0.9 for a while, we just liquidate you slowly until you go above one. Right. So we, and that's what I mean by most of the, n- the new designs you see kind of try to do the soft liquidation piece, which boils down, if you squint enough, to the protocol holding risk, right? The protocol's holding a bad debt position. But again, just like pigging yeah. is a fucking stupid concept in, <laughs> in for, for, a sta- for a liquid staking derivative, <laughs> bad debt is also a bad concept because it, it makes it sound like, oh, you should never be holding risk. Well, this fucking thing is a trading strategy, just like just like any DeFi protocol. It's a trading strategy with users, and it's it's trading, and it obviously has to have some risk. So, I, I think this is all just com- This all comes from some, <coughs> some hocus pocus bullshit version of the world where everyone thinks like there are some god dictum laws, like uh, you know, steth has to be greater than one always.
1: you um, like, making me. You're making me more likely to say bad debt now.
3: I know that's the problem. This is, I know I'm, I know I'm the mid curve okay? like, but I'm at least acknowledging.
2: Mike, uh, you're gonna have to do a whole episode on bad dead, and Tarun. That's a whole other thing. But I, I think that's where so I'm gonna push Tarun where to really agree is all of this more sophisticated mechanisms um, that we're talking about. They all require like market-based information. Uh, to to make those decisions. Like, I, I I we could go deeper on some of these other designs, but, like, how much of the bad debt the protocol should hold on to, you're going to want to use, like, market participants to understand, like, what the health ratio is and that sort of thing. And so, essentially, you're going to end up running auctions, the way I look at this. You're always going to be ending, end up running auctions here. And this goes a little bit to, like, you know, what Dan Robinson and your last season, you know, his if there's any a problem you kind of hit in crypto the right answer is just to add an auction that's how you uh you you solve it so right now if i zoom out here and think about again the direction we're going and then maybe we can tie this back into oval capture um or sorry med capture generally um this is a another mechanism for a protocol originated transaction to run an order flow auction um and that's, that's sort of what Oval's doing. And I think it's the first step in a bunch of directions where we could be getting auction-based information um, back into DeFi protocols or others.
0: Yeah, so Hart, totally agree with that. But if I could just even go one, like, like the ultimate problem that auctions are trying to solve is a redistribution of MEV. The, the basic, the, the idea is that there's kind of like Ethereum is this neutral platform and apps get built on it. And these apps create a lot of meth of extractable value. And if you look at the way that the supply chain in Ethereum is set up today, you know, if you tried to look at um, who ultimately is maybe getting paid too much and extracting a disproportionate amount of that value, I think what most people in that are close to that supply chain would say is ultimately it's the proposer. Right. So from the perspective of someone like could be Uniswap, could be Ave, could be an NFT trading platform, whatever it is the creators of these inefficiencies that ultimately end up getting arbed out, that you can make a really strong argument that that value should flow back either to the protocol or to the users who frankly been getting a pretty poor UX experience for a really long time. And so I I think that's why something like MevShare and Swab is exciting because the auctions are the mechanism of redistributing that value away from
2: proposers. I don't know if you guys would agree with that underlying sentiment. Agreed. I mean, um, I'm actually, again, curious what Teren and Quintus think, but kind of my mental model for this is, like, you think of a lot of these protocols, um, they, like, create this, like, MEV exhaust. It's like you use the protocol. A user using the protocol in a natural way um, is creating transactions that have some reorg or censorship or otherwise type value that we're calling MEV. And using the, the more you use the protocol, the more MEV is created. Um, and the the bigger picture model is like, well, okay, if we can design mechanisms that actually recapture this, like MEV exhaust, um, we can use it to improve the protocol. And that could be like make make the fees cheaper for users, um, pay for costs. Like one of the goals for Oval is to actually pay Chainlink for the costs of providing their Oracle service, Um uh, or you can imagine, like you use the oval rev in Ave to uh, lower or um, reimburse gas fees for using the Ave protocol. We like made it better, or you use it as a revenue stream. So Ave token holders earn the MeV from the protocol, and now we have like a cool business model um, for how Ave is is gonna support itself. Um, so yeah, I think that's super interesting. Where we're using Mev to power as either a business model or to improve the product.
1: Yeah, I I I, um, I agree with that. I think another way of, of stating this, uh, coming back to what Mike was saying, is that you know there actually is always an auction for these things. It's just that the auctioneer is the validator slash proposer. You know, mm. um, because they have the sort of monopoly rights to you know do these liquidations and and. Um, sandwich and I guess whatever arbitrage, whatever strategy you care about. And what the sort of protocol MEV capture um, discussion is saying is saying like, hey, let's build an auction or build some mechanism to redirect that value so, it, so the auctioneer doesn't end up being the, the proposer. And this is like a really interesting because I think there's a different school of thought which has said, listen, like there's no way we can escape the proposer as the auctioneer. We can't escape all this value flowing to validators and not to the to, to the applications or to the users. So we're we going to build app chains and have the, those be integrated, right? Have the validators and the applications sort of be the same kind of thing. And having um, application level MEV capture without having app chains is I think, a, a yeah, with, without yeah, needing to launch a new chain is a pretty really strong response um, from the sort of general chain um, side of things. And so if if we can get more applications capturing the MEV or, you know, doing these kinds of uh, hybrid uh, off-product, off-chain, on-chain solutions, using them to capture MEV, then the sort of chains like Ethereum look a lot more appealing than than app chains.
2: You know, one thing to expand on that, um, Quintin, like I was talking to Mike about this a little bit before um, too, but... um, You know, it doesn't really make sense using your app chain analogy. It doesn't really make sense to make an app chain for your like your NFT collection. That seems like uh, not really a good use of an app chain. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. There's other NFT experts out there. Um, But um, uh, one natural extension of where like something like Oval goes or what Oval could do um, would be to recapture a lot of the MEV uh, lost in um, NFT collection drops, like in an NFT mint or something like that. Um, I'm not really an NFT expert, but I I do know that at least in v one of like a lot of these drops, there's like a huge amount of gas, like just gas getting wasted and crazy prices or whatever. And, you know, you could instead be running oval auctions using like Flashbots, MevShare infrastructure to recapture that. And then the NFT collection could decide what they want to do with it. Um, And so to your example, like for uh, this is a use case where an app chain doesn't really make sense. But you can use all these similar concepts to recapture the MeV that your application, your use case, is leaking, and do useful things with it, um, which I think is cool.
0: Hmm. So I've got a uh, one question. We haven't really focused as much on the the flashbots component of what this auction actually looks like, but you know, one uh, question. Quintus that I've been trying to at least think about for a little while is like the value proposition here of like very general sort of order flow auctions like a Swab versus more app-specific order flow auctions, and you can sort of see Uniswap moving in that direction. So I guess like, are we just seeing two? There could be sort of two different market structures here. Where for someone like Ave, like, hey, I'm leaking a whole bunch of MEV through my liquidations process. It's not I'm not getting granular pricing sort of information. I want to get that redirected back to my protocol. So I'm just going to plug into Swab as opposed to Uniswap, who has clearly said I'd like to build that internally myself. So is there like, could you expand a little bit on how you think about? like app specific versus general order flow auctions and then how that market structure eventually ends up shaking out.
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's some small details which separate these kind of auctions at the moment. Does it happen in one transaction or two? Um, And these feel like sort of like more like implementation details and maybe they rely like, there's some like trust assumptions which are specific to the applications we have now, um, but they don't, it's something which I think in the long run, isn't that important. what I think, you know, what separates something like Mev Share from Uniswap X, like like you were saying, is that Uniswap X is basically like something for filling limit orders, whereas Mev Share is, um, you know, this general protocol for saying, like, hey, I have a a transaction, I'm just gonna you know, create some state transition, and you can sort of bid to, to back run this this transaction. Um, I think that that you know, I think Tarun probably based on some sort of his work before agrees that you know in the long run having different kinds of auctions for different use cases makes sense um, and in some sense that's what what oval is doing they're saying okay, listen we we have a specific kind of um, auction for for um you know blending protocols yes we're using this general mev share platform but okay we're going to add some details in where after 36 seconds or after some you know parameter um, that the protocol can choose, the auction sort of terminates. And if we you know it didn't send the unlock transaction that that uh, people are trying to back run, then everything goes back to normal and the and the and the um the protocol is safe and, and you know the, the bad debt can be liquidated. Um, and so maybe just to connect this with the, the whole flashbots direction, yes we're running MevShare share now, but I think we we also think that um there's going to be some need for differentiation of auctions. And that's why we're building a general platform for defining these kinds of things. So that different protocols or different use cases can go and say, okay, well, you know, I need an auction, but it looks a little bit like this, or it's a little bit different in this, in this way. And um, you can, you know, fork some, like some, you know, auction pattern that's, that's already available and m- make the tweaks you wanna make um, and do this in a relatively trustless or whatever decentralized way.
2: Quintus, can I um interrupt you to like strong agree on that? Um, um... So, like, Suave is something that's, like, out there, right? Um, And, look, there's, like, you need, like, a lot of podcast episodes to, I think, really understand Suave. But, like, my takeaway is it's going to be uh, one of the things it can do is be a really useful um, uh, service to program auctions or platform to program auctions. Um, And I very much do think of Oval as a, a very focused type of auction for Oracle price updates, um, and I think that it can naturally expand to other types of, uh, uh, of, of protocol transactions types. Um, uh, and I think it's a very cool like, example of uh, an example you can use today um, and start integrating today for uh, the types of specialized auctions that something like Suave might support in the future. Um, and so I really like this as a natural progression where something like Oval uses like rock solid, trusted flashbots and chain link infrastructure today to allow you to capture MEV. And it can be a little bit of a preview to the types of specialized auctions that you're able to run on Suave in the future. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of cool. Um,
3: so I, I guess for... I, 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 yeah. I'll instead of. Um... Giving a chorus of agreement, I will give the, the take the dialectic and also give the the ne- the, uh, the negative case. Um, so I think for oracle auctions, it makes a ton of sense. Um, there's sort of a notion of like a bounded payoff that you can expect, right? You kind of know the absolute best payoff you can get, so you sort of also know a lot about how people. You know, if I looked in hindsight at like, are people cheating? Are they colluding? It's actually very easy to attribute that they did that. And so there's sort of a nice story that like, hey, I have this measuring stick that I can benchmark people in the future to know if they're bad and I smack them by slashing them or something, right? The problem is for the most general possible value functions, like you know, the most general possible payoffs when you have tons of uncertainty and the possibility of like what transfers are made, what payments are made between different users, then it becomes much harder. Then these kind of auctions kind of stop working as well and I think, and to some extent, that is sort of the reason you have the intent slash Uniswap X style part of the world, because that is trying to fulfill something where instead of trying to find the optimal sort of payoff, I'm willing to wait longer. And by waiting longer, it someone can find you know a, something that satisfies my desire to trade something reasonably well. So I think there's kind of this duality, and for oracles, it's just an amazing use case because the thing you're bidding on is the thing that gives you the exact benchmark to price things by, right? It's, it is the price information. So you, you really can bound the best payoff and worst payoff. Um, but there are examples and I think routing in AMMs sometimes has some properties like this where that that's much harder to do because people could remove liquidity in front of you. People could, and change, effectively change the optimal route. People can, you know, Put trap tokens i mean i haven't heard so much about this in 2024 but 2022 there were just so many of these binance smart chain rug pull tokens where like basically they would like fill a liquidity pool with with a, a ton of this token so it looked like a really good route to take when you're trading tokens but then it turned out to have like a malicious transfer function and then you you know you transfer into a pool and then you can't transfer out and then the pool operator pulls all liquidity and that would be how they rug pulled you that's the type of stuff you have to worry about when dealing with much more complex payoffs versus an oracle. I get the benchmark, I know the payoff i can I can tell you how the auction should work. so I would make sure that you think about this in terms of those clear when, when you understand a payoff, auction good when you have a lot of uncertainty in the payoff, auction bad, and that's that's like my dumb you know left curve or description of what I think the tradeoff is
0: hmm. I that's a that's a good thing to keep in mind. Uh Hart, me I know we we've got to close down here pretty soon. So obviously, you know, oval is, is extremely relevant for sort of borrow lend protocols like Aave today, but can you give us a sense of who else this applies to? Maybe that would be slightly less obvious, like could be NFT platforms, something like that you mentioned um being able to recapture some of the mev that leaks like during a mint or something like that, but uh, just trying to give a sense for folks who might be listening and working at these protocols, like where else this might apply.
2: Yeah, so um, I think there's kind of two directions to go here. Um, first direction is anyone that uses like a Chainlink price feed. Um, and then of that, there's like L1 versus like L2 stuff. So if you use a Chainlink price feed on L1, Oval, you should consider using today. You should come talk to us about the use case. So the major use cases there are like the lending protocols, like and compound and all the other ones. Um, But there are others. So Chainlink price feeds that are leaking MEV information Oval can capture on um, Ethereum mainnet today. Um, I think uh, capturing this type of uh, Oracle MEV on L2s is very interesting. That's like something we're actively researching. Um, But I think that there's a lot of uh, value in... Um, perp DEXs where there is still this like latency game. This is like a, a deeper research topic and I actually think Tarun, I haven't talked to Tarun about this, but I bet he has real thoughts, um, where uh, the, the trading prices of these perp DEXs and the actual real price on Binance, there is some latency or some gap in there and that is a form of MEV or arbitrage um, that's getting lost and I think there's kind of really cool ways uh, to think about how you could capture that So that's one direction that I think Oval gets excited about, how to um, capture MEV from Chainlink price updates on L2s. Um, And then the other direction, like I mentioned before, is not in the Oracle space, um, not in the price update space, but rather are there other types of protocol-originated transactions uh, that create a bunch of MEV, and that if we were to run an auction around them, we could capture that. Um, And the ones that come to mind obviously here are like, um, like NFT drops, where there's some transaction that originates from uh, a protocol that is leaking MEV. I think there's probably a lot of others. And that's where I'm really excited to kind of be open and live about this to uh, to get uh, crypto Twitter's thoughts of where else we could capture MEV from protocol originated transactions. Quintus, I yeah. saw you smiling. Do you have a like, brilliant thought?
1: No, I don't have a I don't have a brilliant thought. I I, I but I I feel like I can f- summarize very nicely what Oval does. So I'll just do it in, in a sentence, which is yeah. I think we've we've always known.
3: Sorry, Hart, are to... you hiring for marketing? <laughs> um, yeah, we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, okay, wait. Yeah, has got me a job and some free shit coins today. It's great.
3: Amazing.
0: Yeah,
1: to... Red Bull, though.
3: Yeah, I I still am waiting for the fridge Red Bull, you fuckers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you guys missed the pre-show to ruin Red Bull rant. But but anyway, I think so. We've always known how to run these auctions. What Uma has done really well is come in with Oval and said, "Listen, we want to do this in a minimally invasive way, and we introduce like a trusted actor assumption, but it really isn't that important because we have this window um, in which you're trusting the actor and which and after which we we fall back to the a- protocol acting as normal uh, and the next like step or two that we should take is is taking this trusted actor role and, and decentralizing that and that's what i'm really excited about and once you've once you've done that you can build these like, pretty cool trustless protocols that do um MIF capture for many applications on chain
2: yeah
0: um well said there quintus i i heart i also like that um that question, do you have any brilliant thoughts? That's uh I'm gonna start using that on these podcasts, just put people on the spot, uh, raise the expectations. Um, but uh we've gotta we've gotta wrap wrap it up here. So, Hart, if there are devs or founders of protocols that are listening to this and think, hey, this might be relevant for me and what's the best way to get in touch with you or folks at the team?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, our doc site, we actually put a lot of effort into our doc site explaining the mechanisms here um too. So if you're like If you're like Quintus Tarun, wannabe nerd, like go check out the doc site. It's docs.oval.xyz. But if you are a protocol looking to integrate us, uh, go to uh, oval.xyz and we have like a a contact us type form and we're going to be super responsive because we're really excited to hear uh, about people's thoughts here and want to help you guys integrate this. Um, the whole thing is like open source and permissionless and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, you can go play yourself. Um, but, uh, we want to, we want to help people out and handhold them through some of these first integrations because, uh, that's, that's the right way to do it. Um, and yeah, and then follow me on Twitter and DM me and stuff like that.
3: Awesome. I'm going to end with one last comment, which is, I think oval V2 thing should be, uh, selling futures future auction rights or a few options on future rights so like i get to participate in the
2: next auction at at least this price and here's how true nerd snipes people let's do it uh i think
0: that's a good idea second that idea i I, as long as we're still using the egg as the um as the meme for this then i'm on board. no 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 now when you're buying the futures you're buying the carton carton (laughs) of eggs (laughs) and that the memes write the themselves. Why
1: don't yes, right. you buy the chicken? That seems that seems a slightly cooler.
3: The
0: chicken
1: before Binance. the egg, man. The chicken finance
3: man. I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> you want to buy
0: Binance? I didn't know it went all this
1: right. deep, guys. It seems like it seems like we should have ended the episode a minute ago. I was gonna yep.
0: say we went like one too far, I think. Let's just end while we're heading. Guys, this has been a ton of fun. Congrats, uh, hearts on Oval Tarun and Quintus. Thanks for joining, guys. Cheers, Thank guys. you all. Yeah. All right, Cheers.